Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Sometimes when we think about our Christian life, we, uh, sometimes the word salvation, we, we don't really, really grasp it because we hear it so much, we, we hear it so often, we, we hear it come at us in so many ways. You're saved, I'm saved, we've been saved, we've been rescued, kind of thing, and we forget how that happened. And, and I, I don't think you, maybe you didn't get the, all the songs today, how the, the theme was, God came. God drew near. God pursued us. God took initiative. God left heaven for earth, left a perfect setting to come near to us. Uh, salvation is something that God did, and we call that relationship. We call that we've come to know God, and we've come to meet God, and we've come to experience God. We've come to see God in our life. We've come to know His presence in our life. We've come to be with Him. Last week, uh, I, I, maybe I labored too hard, and, and man, the time sure went by fast. But I, I, I labored last week to, to explain to us that God has designed us for relationship. God has made us to know Him and love Him and be with Him. The picture of, of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with, with God, that was His dream, that was His vision, the intimacy the closeness, the nearness. And then, then we looked at, at the end of this life, at the end of this world, in the kingdom to come, how God has made this revelation, this plan, that we would dwell with Him again. He's revealed to, to us in the Scriptures that He wants to be close to us forever. And it's nothing we could do. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't make the relationship happen. We, we couldn't draw near to God. He had to draw near to us first. And his big picture plan in the beginning, he made humanity to love. He, he, made, he made us to, to know him and love him and be in a relationship with him. At the end of time, all those who have been redeemed, all those who have been reconciled, all those who have been regenerated, all those who have been ransomed by Jesus, they're going to be with God again. And that's his plan. That's his desire. Uh, and I, I, last week, I, I really wanted to drive home the point as we started this prayer ser- sermon series with this, this idea that being with God is not a, just a creation thing in the beginning. And being with God is not just an end time thing after this life is over and the new world comes. Being with God is now. Being with God is now. We call it relationship and we call it prayer. You start thinking about all that God has done, all that this book tells us uh, that, has, that has transpired and all that has happened Again, uh, God is lifted up as the one who made it all happen. What did he do? How, how did he proceed? How did he act? He sought us. I came in to seek and save the lost. He bought us the precious blood of Jesus. He redeemed us. He paid a ransom. He paid a price for us. He's justified us. He's declared us righteous. So now that when God sees us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus, a righteousness has been given to us through our faith that has been given to us in God. And now we are righteous in His sight. God did that so He could be close to us. I mean, you start running down this path, 
He's reconciled us by His will, by His desire, by His wanting. He's sent the Holy Spirit into our life. We've been united with Christ. Christ is in us. We're in Christ, as the Scriptures say. I mean, He's given us an inheritance that will be forever. He's sealed us in the Spirit. God has saved us, but think about it in the terms of relationship. What a great God we have that He made us to know Him and love Him and be with Him forever. That is salvation. And so we start this, this uh, prayer sermon series. What, what is this relationship? What does it look like in the here and now? How, how does it mean to be with God now? How does it mean to walk with God? How does it mean to be in His presence? We call it prayer. Prayer is a big overarching term. Uh, communion with God. Communication with God. Conversation with God. Prayer is response to God. Prayer is worship. Prayer just goes on and on and on. So the big question is, if God has made us for relationship and He's overcome our sin, He's dealt with our guilt and our condemnation, He's reconciled to us to Him, and He calls us to pray, how do we pray? How do we draw near to God? How do we walk with God in intimacy and closeness. Now maybe some of you are saying, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like being with God? Is that even possible? It is. Because He is. When we start talking about the how of prayer, we always have to start talking about the who of prayer. Because this, this life we call the Christian life, it always comes back to relationship. God so loved the world that He gave and he, he came and He ran towards us and He pursued us and He regenerated us. He made us born again. All that He did for relational purposes to bring us to Him. So how do you pray? Well, fortunately, I don't have to make that up. I don't have to come up with that myself. We don't have to discover prayer on our own. Jesus has taught us to pray. So please open your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. As Luke said, we'll be in these scriptures, these few verses for a couple months, and we'll try to go as deep as we can and try to wrestle with these things and make sense of them and, and live them. But what we have here in the Lord's Prayer is a series of phrases that are meant to be launching out points, patterns, paradigms for us to draw near to the God who is drawn near to us. Look at verse 5, please. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 5. And when you pray, the, uh, our Lord Jesus, He assumes that we are going to be a people of prayer. He's speaking this, this, this teaching to His disciples, to those who have a relationship with Him. He says to us, when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so that's Jesus' start. Uh, you, you, we can imagine that he went uh, with his disciples in different places and different times, uh, speaking to them more frequently on these matters. But we have this blessing of teaching, this gift of teaching from our Lord Jesus. So he starts off teaching us how to pray by telling us how not to pray. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. What does he mean by that? Uh, in the synagogue services of the day, uh, there was many, uh, many prayers. I think there was 18 prayers was the custom. Uh, they would stand and say those prayers. But there was also, if I understand things right, a person that was chosen to perhaps lead the service or begin the service in prayer. And it was an honor. It was uh, uh, something that, that you look forward to. And uh, Jesus is probably thinking about some of those synagogue services he grew up in, some of those places that he was, and he saw how people prayed. Or he saw some of the religious leaders who went out into the community, and they prayed publicly. And he saw some of their prayers, and all he could probably think of sometimes was hypocrisy. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something they're not. The word comes from wearing a mask. Actors wear masks. They put on makeup. They put on costumes. They're acting like they have a relationship with God when they don't. Religious leaders. <clears throat> Religious leaders and pastors of churches like this. People standing in this pulpit have a great temptation in acting like hypocrites. We can act in our prayers, we can talk in our prayers in such a way that it sounds like I'm praying to God, but really I'm seeking your praise. We can pray in such ways, with such flowery language, in such wonderful ways of talking, presumably talking to God, but not really, Hypocrites are looking for your applause. Hypocrites are looking for your saying, oh, pastor, that was a great sermon. Hypocrites are looking for people to say, man, you must really be close to God with that prayer you prayed. Man, you must love God so tremendously. Oh, I do. I love God so much. You notice by my prayer how much I love God. And, and Jesus, growing up, you know, going, going uh, to different places and seeing different things, you can imagine all the hypocritical prayers he saw as God. All the time before he was incarnate, all the thousands and hundreds and thousands and millions of prayers that were supposedly given to him really were done for the ears of men and women listening. And so Jesus says, do not pray like some of the religious leaders, like some of the Pharisees and Sadducees that don't even have a relationship with God, 
They're praying for public consumption, for public play. They're praying so that they will get applause or they'll get money or they'll get this or that. True prayer, authentic prayer, is going to God. I say to you, they have received their reward. What, what is their reward? These, these hypocrites, these people that, that aren't even acknowledging God or they don't even have a relationship with God? Their reward is nice prayer. If you're seeking public applause or if you're seeking recognition from people, you can get it pretty easy in your pretending, in your faking, in your acting. My friends, I've prayed in all different settings and situations. I've prayed for houses. I've prayed for cars publicly. I've prayed for animals publicly to be healed. <laughs> Don't laugh. It's happened. Uh, I've prayed at uh, high school graduations, at college graduations, at sports uh, uh, recognitions, uh, weddings and funerals here and there and everywhere. And people love to hear a good prayer. What is God hearing is what matters. When you and I pray in your community group, in your Bible study, when you're praying at home before the kids, are you doing it for their ears? Are you doing it because God is present and you're talking to God? Jesus really wants you to be talking to Him. He really wants you to draw near to Him. So he says, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now we start thinking about architecture, we start thinking about rooms and buildings in ancient times, and many of their houses were very small. Okay? They didn't have the square footage we have today, they didn't have the multiple rooms we have today, but a lot of times uh, there was certain rooms that you could, one room in the house perhaps, where you kept your valuables. Maybe one door in the house that you could lock. One place in the house where nobody would expect you to be. Go into that inner room, go into that place where you can lock the door behind you so no one will find you there because it's not about people seeing you. It's about God seeing you. It's about being with God in the secret. True prayer and authentic prayer, God feels like He's the center of your attention. True prayer, authentic prayer, real prayer comes from the heart. It's not fake. It's not, it's not presumptuous. It's not pretending. It's my Father. Here I am. Now, it doesn't mean that public prayers are wrong. Uh, we see in the book of Acts, the church, many public prayers by the church, corporate prayers, group prayers. We see the, in the epistles several places where the church gathers and prays together. You know, and Jesus even said, where two or three are gathered in my name, right? There's an understanding there that people are praying together. So it's not, it's not the where, it's the why. It's your motive. It's your heart. We can pray together in a place like this. We can come together on a Wednesday night in a prayer meeting and we can be authentic and true and real. You can get together in your Bible study, in your community group, and you can have awesome prayers that God sees as real prayer. It's not the where, it's your heart. 
Do you have a desire to meet with God? Do you truly want to be with your Father or not? God knows. Remember when, uh, when they're choosing uh, the next king and, and, you know, uh, and passed by all of David's brothers and, and the prophet was told, God looks at the heart. We want to bring our real self, not our fake self, to God. And so, man, if you, could, if you, if you need to go to a place uh, to hide out, if you need to go to a place and, and be somewhere uh, away from people, avo- avoiding distractions... That's awesome. No problem. Make it real though. So he moves on in verse 7. And he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need what you need before he, you ask Him. So the, the first thing, uh, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. The second thing, don't act like the pagans who don't know God, who make up their gods, who are praying to idols. Don't be like them in their babbling. You see, the pagan worldview was, man, those gods got to be wore down. Those gods got to be wore out. I got to manipulate those gods to give me what I want. I got I to gotta say certain key phrases. I got to unlock the code. One, seven, four, two, three. So in opening the door, the pass code, the pass key, Pagans would pray, you've got to have all the right titles lined up. You've got to have all the right words lined up. They've got to have all the, the sequence down perfect. And then they thought if they could just pray in a certain way, the gods would give them answers. Or, maybe God is waiting for me to get His attention. The God out there that my ancestors made up, maybe... Uh, he needs to wake up. He needs, to, he needs to, to come to my attention. So I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to talk a lot until he gives in. Have you ever felt like maybe in your prayers you've tried to wear God out until he gave in? Is that the character? Is that the quality? Is that the type of God we serve? That he has to be persuaded? That he has to be manipulated? that he has to be overcome, that he's somehow standing back, I'm not going to answer Jeron's prayer until he puts in 30 minutes. I'm not going to answer Jeron's prayer until he gets down on his knees. Is that the kind of character that our God has? No. I'm not going to answer Jeron's prayers until I hear a certain repetition of words that I like. And then, bingo, bongo, bango, you got your prayer. No. God knows what we need. He knows what we're going to ask for before the words leave our mouth. He does not need to be manipulated or persuaded. The character of our Father is one of loving concern. The character of our Father is He knows what we need, what we need and He is good. He's not a bad God. He's not like the pagan gods. He's not somebody that needs to be cajoled or somebody who needs to be tricked or somebody who needs to be wore out. So Jesus says, hey, in your prayers, don't pray with a lot of babbling. And what does he mean by that? Well, sometimes there's prayers in our culture, in our society, we've seen in other religions, maybe memorized prayers or prayers that are said again and again and again where people don't even remember what they're saying. 
or people, their hearts aren't in it. They're not speaking from themselves. They're just saying repetitive prayers again and again and again. And they're not even present mentally. Don't be like the pagans in their babbling and their empty phrases. To God, if He sees someone who's praying, just a, a rote kind of a, um, a prayer that their hearts aren't engaged, they're not being authentic or true, to Him it sounds like babbling. Now, can we, can we say repetitive prayers? Well, you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, three times He prayed, and I think He, he prayed the same three things. Right? So repetitive prayers aren't wrong, but are they true prayers? Are you really talking to God? I remember uh, when our kids are at home, you know, I, I, I suppose whenever they had a fever or they had a sickness, whenever they were being bullied at school or when, it, when bad things were happening, God heard a lot of the same words come out of my mouth. But I meant them. They were true. They were real. How many times have I prayed for the protection of my children? Or how many times have I prayed for people in this congregation where I've said the same things again and again? The, the issue is not, not the, the number of times I say the same things. Am I present with the Father in secret? He is present to me. Am I treating Him as a person? Am I treating Him with respect and awe? Am I really speaking to somebody? Or am I just trying to use somebody? So Jesus says, don't pray like the pagans. There's interesting uh, language there. Your father in secret will reward you. Okay, what does that mean? Well, the, uh, the people that talk a lot in prayer, uh, to be seen by people, to be appreciated by people, what's their trophy? What's their reward? When people say, nice prayer, you got your reward. Okay, so the father's reward to us we're praying authentically and truly uh, and, and real with Him, what is the reward? Well, it's probably answered prayer. If we really love somebody and we're praying for them and that prayer is answered, well, there's your reward. Don't expect a trophy from people. Don't expect the church to say, wow, that person can really pray. Let's put a plaque out on the wall for them. The reward is God saying, okay, I've heard you, and I've heard your heart. My will is this, and, and you've you got to stay within my will, but I heard you. To be heard is a great reward. So we, we come and we, we look at this and we say, okay, there's, 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 there's different kinds of ways to pray that aren't, aren't authentic prayers. They aren't true prayers. And, we, and Jesus could have multiplied these. He, he, could have, he could have given every scenario and every, every way that prayer is wrong, and how long would that list have been? Okay, but his point is, you can get out of alignment with being present with God. You can go through this life uh, with, with prayers that aren't really relational. Where you're not really talking with the living God who dwells in you and who is with you. Brothers and sisters, maybe you grew up in a certain home where, where um, every night, Dad said the same exact prayer at the dinner table. Or maybe, maybe uh, at, at your bedtime, uh, you know, uh, it was the same prayer, and you, you learn prayer as something you just memorize and you don't really mean it. Jesus, because He's chased us down, 
because he's called our name, because he's reconciled us to himself, because he wanted us so badly, he's made this opportunity to approach the throne of grace as a real relational, personal, intimate, coming to him kind of a prayer. And so your, your right prayers, maybe forget those in terms of all the big theological language or the the certain order of how you pray that it has to be beautiful or flowery. God wants you to come to Him in your heart authentically and true. And however the words come out of your mouth, He sees what's going on on the inside and that's what really matters. So we move on to uh, now He says in verse 9, pray then like this, Our Father in Heaven. Uh, Boy, couldn't he, have, uh, couldn't he have got a ton of titles for God there? I mean, he, he is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He is the great I Am. He is, he is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is the Bread of Life. He's the Living Water. He's the, he's, he, he could have put a ton of titles there. But which one did He choose? Our Father. And this, this little phrase that Jesus puts there, it sums up so much of our theology of God. So much of our understanding of God. And I, I just am, am, have always uh, looked at that kind of in awe, but really studying again this week, uh, our Father in Heaven, how awesome that is. He, uh, he puts it in a way that we can all relate to. Our Father. Uh, he's putting it in a connotation of relationship. He's putting it in, connotation, in a setting, a context of a father who cares for children. And he's putting us in the setting, in the context of us being children and God being the parental figure. Now I have to say some things here. When he says our Father, it doesn't mean your father, your earthly father. God is not like that. He's not talking about my earthly father. God is not like that. Jesus is lifting up this as a title. He's not using it metaphorically here, allegorically here in a sense, or a simile or something like that. It's a title. He's saying as the one who came from heaven, who's part of the Trinity, who knows this this being, he's saying he is the Father who happens to be our Father. You might have had an excellent father growing up with. You might have had a father who stayed true to your mom, never cheated on her, never lied to her. You might have had an excellent father who is always there for you and your kids, for your brothers and sisters. You might have had an excellent father who uh, always took care of the family and always led well and always forgave and always uh, loved in the appropriate ways and the right ways, was faithful and true, etc. But even if you had an ideal father in your life, God in His perfection is higher and greater and more wondrous and has, has never sinned or never made a mistake. 
He is our Father in heaven. We all have, in the, in the communal sense, he's, he's our Father. We've all come under the blood of Jesus. We've all been bought by Jesus. We've all been forgiven by the Lord because we trusted in Jesus to die in our place. And He, he paid the punishment. There's no, no more condemnation in Jesus now. So He's all our Father. But what is the Father? How does He mean this title? That's so important. It's so key to understand. Uh, what, what, I, what I want to say to you is, is the way you think about God is super important. You guys, the way that you think about God is absolutely, incredibly important. Our theology comes before our practice. Okay? Our understanding of God drives how we live as Christians. If we have a misunderstanding of God, we will pray in ways that aren't in alignment with the truth. If we have a misunderstanding of God's character and His being and His identity, we will live out our life in ways that are skewed or off. Let me give you an illustration when I say that theology comes before practice. Uh, We had a time in our worship service, as we do every Sunday, where we have a time of tithes and offerings. And depending how you grew up, depending on your situation, your scenario, uh, the way you look at money, you've been taught to look at money a certain way. You've been taught to look at giving a certain way. Uh, Look at generosity a certain way. I I look at this church and I, I have to applaud you again and again. This church has always been so generous. This church, we've, we've never had to, like, we've never sat down in the 18 years I've been here, and, and we've never said, boy, pastor, you need to give a sermon on giving this week. We've never had to do that because this church has always been so generous. It's awesome. I'm so thankful <laughs> for that. I'm, 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 but where does that come from? People that believe that they have a generous God, people that believe that God is gracious, people that believe that their God is going to take care of their needs, people that believe that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, people that believe that God wants to give through us to provide for people's needs, they don't have a problem giving. Their theology, if their theology, if their heads are screwed on straight in terms of how they think of God, God as a generous giver himself, they will not hesitate to give freely to others who are in need. But people who have a, a theology and understanding of God is he doesn't give nothing, he's, he's tight-fisted, he's a miser, he, he never takes care of my needs, I have to fight for my own needs, I have to, I, every penny I earned, I did it through the strength of my back, he didn't give me any help. People that have a misconception of God's character and who he is, when it comes to money, they're not going to give. And so our, 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 idea, our idea of God is going to flow out into our life. You guys, it's the same with prayer. It's absolutely the same with prayer. If you find yourself here today and you, uh, you go days without coming into the Father's presence, if you go days without praying, if you, if you, if you go through uh, seasons of life where God has always been far on the margins, far away. If you go through seasons of life where you you never go to prayer, could it be that your thinking about God might need to undergo a reformation? Could it be that you've never realized that God has drawn close to you 
and that He wants to be with you, that He's near to you, and He wants you to talk to Him. So, uh, you know, when I was in, in elementary school, uh, there was still, the, the assistant principal still had the paddle up on the wall. Right? And I remember going into the principal's office a few times, and I got threatened with the paddle. I was never paddled, but the threat was enough. Okay? So if you think of God, okay, if you think of God as the assistant principal, it's going to be hard to go into His presence. Or if you think of God as the drill sergeant, yes, sir! It's going to be unnatural for you to want to go towards the drill sergeant when He's going to yell at you. Or if you have connotation of God is always angry at you or bitter at you or he's waiting for you to screw up so he can give you a whack it's going to be hard to pray but if you see God as Jesus sees God if you see the Father as Jesus knows the Father prayer is going to come natural prayer is going to be a joy Prayer is going to be something that you live in and dwell in and be in more and more and more as you realize the Father's character. Again, you start reading through the Scriptures and you see all the ways that God has approached us. All the ways that God has called us. All the ways that God has drawn near to us. All the ways that God invites us into His presence. All the ways that He's made a way where sinners could be cleaned and brought into His holy presence. He wants us to be with Him so badly. If you don't have that understanding of God, where's that going to leave you in your prayer life? If you don't have that that connotation, and so when Jesus says in verse 9, this is how you pray, He's rewiring our thinking. He's speaking to a group of people They didn't have a right connotation of the Father in Heaven or God. Our Father in Heaven. So in Heaven, okay? What does that mean? The Hebrews understood Heaven in in, uh, three levels. Okay, God is in Heaven. The atmosphere we breathe. He's in the air all around us. The second Heaven, uh, biblically, uh, in in the Hebrew way of the worldview of of the Hebrews, was that God is is in the sky, the planets, the stars, what we call the universe. That is where God is. In the the third level, when when the Apostle Paul was taken to the third level of Heaven, where did he go? He went to the throne room of God. We don't know where that is. That might be outside of creation. It might be inside of creation, but God is there too. So whether here in the sky, in the heavenly realms, uh, all three of the heavenly realms in, in the throne room of God. God is in heaven. Meaning, He's great. He's glorious. He's transcendent, but He's imminent. He's way out there beyond the universe. He stands outside of the universe that He's made, and yet He's here. He's here right now. He's present. And so when, he said, when Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, He's like, Wow! You're praying to this incredible, incredible God. But he also says, but your God, He's our Father. And so the huge question, when he uses that word Abba, what does that mean? And in, in even to, today in the Middle East, there are certain cultures where they use the Aramaic Abba. 
It's used by children talking to their father, but it's also a term of respect to those in authority, a term of honor. It could be both and. But why did Jesus chose that, that word father? I want to very quickly point you to a story, an account, uh, where Jesus defines what he means by that. Maybe you've never thought what your God is like, and, and maybe the expectations that you have or, or maybe the ways that you've come to think of God, maybe you need to hear again what God, who God is truly like. And once you meet Him again and you realize His love and His grace, maybe you will come to the point of changing your life and spending time in the presence of God more often than not. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15. What did Jesus mean when he said, Our Father? He used that as a title, but what does that mean? How, how can we unpack that? Well, he told a story to explain what the Father is like. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there's a man who had two sons. Younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of your property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with one of the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So you see what's happening here. The younger son, uh, he could care less about the father. He has no, no interest in the father's feelings. He has no interest in the father's honor. He says, hey, give me my inheritance. I could care less whether you're dead or alive, but I want my money now. I don't want to wait till you die. Totally dishonoring the father. Totally disregarding the father. Totally showing hatred to the father. It's all about me. It's all about my life. It's all about my joy and my pleasure. The father, psh, I don't give a rip about him. Just give me my money. So the father says, okay. And the, the son takes the money. He probably, doesn't get, he probably gets one-third of the inheritance in this culture as the, as the younger son. But he takes it, and boy, he parties for a season. He has a great time in his eyes in a season until he spends all the money. And then what, is, what happens to him? He has to hire himself out as a slave. Hire himself out as a servant. And he's feeding, how humiliating for a Jewish man to have to feed pigs. And the pigs are eating better than him. What a story, what a parable Jesus is telling here. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's thinking in his mind like, well, when I go back to the father, I've lost all privilege. I've lost all relational, relational privilege. I'm a nobody now in his sight because I, 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 I'm thinking in my mind that my father, he's rejected me. I've, I've spent his inheritance. I've wasted all of his money. And I, I treated him with disrespect. And I think that, that the only way that he's ever going to take me back 
is if I become a servant and I slave away for him. He has a connotation, an idea, a caricature of what the true God is like, but it's small and it's miserable and it's not as Jesus would have us see our Father. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So we, we, we have this picture that Jesus wants us to know. He's telling this story to teach us about what God is like. Instead of the expectation of God being uh, this, hey, loser, Jeron, you sinned again. You're not worthy to be my son. Hey, loser, Elizabeth, you sinned again. You're not worthy to be my daughter. You've offended me. I don't want to be around you anymore. Jesus is telling us this parable, this story, to show us a different picture of God. He's picturing for us this father who's looking out for his son, who's watching the horizon, hoping his son will come back, who's watching the horizon, hoping his son will come near again. He's hoping his son will draw near so he can love him again and care for him again and be present with him again. He longs for his son's presence. And so when the son comes, the son has prepared speech. The son has prepared speech. I know that I sinned against you. Just make me your And the father says, hold on a second. Man, this is, this is awesome. Bring the best robe. The family robe. The family robe of honor. Bring the family ring. The family ring of honor and put it on his hand. Man, he doesn't have any shoes. Put shoes on his feet. The father ran to the son. And, and Jesus wants us to understand in the oriental culture, imagine kind of an overweight guy you know, wearing a robe, just running. <laughs> right? He, you don't do that. You, you, the honorable one, the prideful one, the, the patriarch of the family, he doesn't show that kind of emotion, but God runs to his children. God wants his children to be near him. He, he says, man, my son was dead, but now he's alive. Let's party. <laughs> Let's celebrate. When a sinner comes home, when somebody falls away, when there's been brokenness and shame and ugliness in a house, God says, man, I paid the price already for that sin. I paid the price, those former sins, the present sins, the future sins. In Jesus Christ, they've all been paid. See, the fatted calf, let's kill the fatted calf. Already Jesus has died for your sins. He paid it all for you because the Father so badly wanted you. He paid it all for you because the Father wanted to be in relationship with you. Man, do you, do you feel, do you sense the Father's love? He's always, nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Man, He's paid it all. There's, there's no way. Now, our Father, in His wisdom and His grace, He does discipline us in His love, but it's in love. 
He always, all of His discipline, if He brings trouble into our life, it's always for our ultimate good. It's always restorative discipline. It's always bringing back discipline. It's always drawing near discipline. It's always bringing my children to health discipline. It's always bringing... (laughs) And Jesus says, this is the Father. And it goes on um, to talk about the older brother. And I I ask you maybe to read that this afternoon. Because maybe... Some of you are here today and you are like the older brother who've never come into the house, who've always felt that you've had to earn the Father's love by your own works. Maybe some of you are here today that in your pride and your arrogance, you, you think that you can earn His, his respect of, of the Father and you can make yourself good enough or, 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 or big enough to say, for the Father to say, oh, I guess you're good enough now, come on in. The Father longed for the older brother to come in. Like the Father... For all those years that things were being worked on, the father wanted to throw a party for the older son, but he never got it. And the, the older son's being compared to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who never had a relationship with the father. So I ask you, where do you stand in your view of God, in your understanding of God? How do you view God today, right now? what might be indicative of your view or what might reveal your view is a lack of prayer. Or maybe you're here today and man, you love going into the presence of God and you know you can go freely. You can approach that throne of grace with confidence. You can move towards Him at all times because He's moved towards you. There's no barriers anymore. There's no boundaries anymore. But Jesus says this is how He wants us to pray. Getting our thinking before our practice. Our Father in Heaven. I'd ask you to maybe uh, today as an assignment is maybe think about your understanding of God. Maybe look at the way you handle money. Maybe look at the way you, you pray. Maybe look at the way you think about worship services. Or maybe... W- What's my understanding there of God? Am I, have I put God in a certain box that I learned from my parents? Have I put God in a certain caricature that I learned from the culture? Or am I coming to this Father who has run towards me and His arms are open wide? Who has paid every price and removed every barrier so I could be in fellowship with Him? May that be your God and may you dwell in His presence as people of prayer. Thank you so much for listening. The Gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where He sits making intercession for His people, and right now, He is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, His death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.